Hello and welcome into the Gotta Be Saints podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Gotta. Join me each week as I speak with future saints about being saints. Today's podcast is titled The Need to Discipline. I have with me Dr. Ray. Dr. Ray, how are you doing? Hi, Brendan. Good to have you. This is, if you've listened to the podcast before, this is not the first time we've had Dr. Ray on. This is the second time. Excited to get to chat with you once once more. Uh, but just for those who don't know you, can you introduce yourself? I am a shrink. I'm a psychologist. Uh, daddy of 10. Um, EWTN host for radio, television. A uh, whole bunch of books. I learned the secret, Brendan, to uh, writing a whole bunch of books. You you can't worry about it being very good, you know? You start getting into quality, it really slows you down. <laughs> well, so how many books are you at now? 18. 18, okay. That's that's quite a quite a number. What's the uh, end goal? Well, see, I keep telling my wife, that's it. That's the last book. You know, it's like, like Neil Diamond and all those guys back in the 60s and 70s who wrote all those songs, and then all of a sudden they just stopped writing. I don't know. I think I'm getting I'm getting close to that edge. All right. Well, we'll we'll see. Well, if I'm interviewing you again here in a year, I'll know it's because <laughs> you didn't listen to that advice. So, 18 books. Is this your favorite one? I think my favorite one is Thinking Like Jesus. All it's right, kind well, of the way to live your life according to how our Lord would say to live it, psychologically speaking. But this is second, then. Oh, yeah. Oh, of course it would have to be second. Interesting you say that, Brendan, because this is a a re-release. It's an update and all of that of a a many, many years ago book. And that book many years ago was the second seller next to to another book that I had with with a publishing house. It was their second top seller. So it was number two. Okay. Well, perfect. So here we are talking to Dr. Ray about his second best book ever. If you're looking for the best (laughs) book interview, you'll have to go somewhere else. But uh, so this book is called Standing Strong, Good Discipline Makes Great Teens. Can you provide a brief overview of the book and, and what inspired you to write it? It's meant to do two things, Brendan. It is meant to help parents stand strong against a culture no longer on their side, to navigate through that mess that is out there trying to misshape their kids' souls. That's the first thing. And the second thing is to put calm, confident discipline back in the hands of parents to deal with the stuff that the teens might throw at you. Okay. Based on, based on that, you talked about this book being updated. What are the new things that parents are dealing with most, especially in 2024? Number one, by far, no questions asked. It is the number one thing that can sabotage a good parent Get them a smartphone early. And when I say early, Brendan, you're talking to a fellow who thinks you should maybe start to consider it at age 15, 16. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I didn't have a smartphone before then, and it was you you can't imagine the damage it has done. Just just today I got an email from a mom, and this is this is typical. They took her daughter's smartphone. She'd only had it for six months, but she immediately was misusing it. All kinds of sites she was going to, pornography, sexting, all kinds of things. So they took it from her. She went crazy. 
She's run away several times. She is refusing to eat. She's on a hunger strike. This is so typical. When you give something like this, does these kids embrace like their third kidney? And then you try to take it away. Look out. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things, you know, to to be brought to the forefront here is, is the addictive nature of our cell phones. I say that as someone who has to combat that own addiction in my own life, you know, of, of the amount of times I've checked my phone. And so I'd like to think that most of the time I use my phone for, you know, for good. And yet I still always have to be, you know, vigilant in that. So you think about the fact that a 15 year old or a 16 year old is getting it in their hands. And in many cases, much younger, they're not, you know, they're not probably well formed enough to, to really take on that. And then you talk about the fact that uh, some of these parents probably are not doing a great job of providing oversight for that, for that device. In this book, do you talk about uh, you know the the process there for parents to kind of support their child in in this issue. Brandon, let's look at the statistics. What do you think the average age now is of a kid getting a smartphone? Probably nine or ten. That's exactly right. It is nine or ten. What do you think if your child is thirteen and who doesn't have a smartphone? What percentage of parents do you think you are? Probably 25% or less. Five. So now look at the implication. If you got a parent who says, there's no way I'm going to give a smartphone, the world in my child's hands with any kind of evil, any kind of putrid sewage, anything. And you try to stand up against that. Think about it. You got your kid badgering you. You got your relatives saying, you know, that's how they communicate nowadays. That's what kids do nowadays. You can't isolate them forever. That's a real world out there. And the parent is getting badgered. So let's say that that parent holds out to age 14. Yeah. She's figuring, okay, wow. Whew, I, I got I to gotta yield. This is, this, is, this is hell on earth to pay. Well, 14 is still too young. But what happened was she was bullied out of fear now, bullied out of fear because my kid will resent me, my kid will hate me, my kid will get deceptive, my kid will hate church, my kid will go behind my back, my kid will get one from their friends. This book is aimed at helping parents to stand against that kind of pressure from every direction. Okay. Well, so then what I'm hearing is this book, in a lot of ways, is maybe essential is too far of a word, but it, it could be an essential kit for a parent who is struggling with, you know, dealing with their, with their child. Um, and it, it, from what I could see, the book challenges the commonly held negative view of the teen years. Can you elaborate on why you believe teens are full of life, enthusiasm, energy, and laughter, even though it's common that, you know, in our world today, we talk about them in, in such a different light? Brendan, 100 to 150 years ago, was there a farm sitting where you're sitting right now? Probably. Do you think that farmer would have said to his friends, my boy just turned 14. He's uh, he's a teenager now. I, I'm not going to get much help out of him. I kind of got to weather these years until he gets to be 20 or 21 and he becomes half human again. Do you think he said that? No, not at all. Absolutely not. He was, he was ecstatic that that boy was 14. He was bigger. He was stronger. He could help. So my point is this. 
these teen years that have the bad rap. And by the way, Brendan, teenager was not a word used 100 years ago. That's a relatively new term. Because teenager for most of human history meant young adult. But given that, I believe that the difficult teenage years, as everybody seems to think, is more cultural than developmental. Oh, yeah, yeah, they have the hormones kicking in. Yeah, they can get feistier. Girls get a little more emotional. Guys get a little more stallion. But more than that, it is I'm 15 years old. I see all the freedoms and options that are standing out there going by me on a conveyor belt. And who's in the way? That ma- that mom, that dad. Ooh, they're so lame. They're so far out of touch. Why did I get stuck with them? That's what happens. And that's where I'm trying to get parents to be confident enough to stand strong against that and do the kind of things they know are good, even though they're nervous and afraid that it might blow up. All right, let's talk about that those nerves and those fears. You you kind of mentioned some of the places that it's coming from. Can you kind of elaborate on how we've gotten to this point in 2024 where our ability to parent is now sometimes dictated by the opinions and feelings of other people who have no place or at least aren't directly connected to our family? For the last two generations, the experts have taken over parenting. They tell you how you're supposed to talk. They tell you how you're supposed to think. They tell you when you're too strict. They tell you when you're not listening right. They tell you what can happen to your child. He'll be on Jerry Springer seven years from now because you left him on the pot for four minutes too long. The experts have made a mess of parents' confidence. Experts is huge. I I cannot emphasize that enough. Brendan, when I get calls from people, they'll say something like, um, well, my seven-year-old is is badly mistreating his sister. And I'll say, okay, what have you done about this? And underneath it all, they're afraid that if they handle it wrong, he's going to hate his sister. He's going to hate women. He's going to get sneaky and mistreat her in subtle ways. So what has happened is Instead of saying, well, this is a problem, i got to handle it, they're thinking, this is a problem. What if I do it wrong? What if I psychologically mess up? What if my kid becomes psychotraumatized and, and I didn't even know how I did it? That's what so many parents are now parenting under, that kind of psychologically correct cloud. It's done a number on them. It truly has. You cannot parent in fear. So you're right. You can't parent in fear. What is your response to that in a, um, you know, what is the, what is the number one or number two uh, things that you're kind of telling parents uh, to, to kind of combat that? Parent comes into my office and I ask him a simple question. Do you want an average society kind of formed kid who's maybe not on drugs not in trouble with the law, gets decent grades? Or do you want a one in a hundred child? Morals, virtue, seeks God. Every one of them says, I want a one in a hundred. At that point, I say, well, then are you prepared to be a one in a hundred parent? You're going to be different. 
The people listening to your podcast right now, Brendan, think about it. These are people who truly want to be God-seeking parents who raise God-seeking kids. That's who they are. So according to our culture, your listeners are in a minority. They're in a small minority. So they have to feel enough confidence in their judgment in what they believe is best for their morals, their values, their system, not what the society says. I'll give you a small example. Of my 10 children, my 10 children are all adopted. Now, some of them had very bad histories. And because of those histories, they didn't mature well. So I had a couple of 18-year-olds who weren't driving yet when their 16-year-old brother was. Now, do you think if I would have parented in fear of what they would think, that they're being mistreated, that this is all horrible, that this is unfair, do you think I would have been able to do that? No. No. They realized that trustworthiness was our number one gauge and not your age. So because of that, we had enough confidence to say in our best judgment, whether the kids are upset or not, and by the way, they weren't all that upset, uh, this is what we have to do. And those are the kind of decisions parents have to make now in this culture all the time. If your kid doesn't have the latest video games, he's going to look at you and say, what is going on here? What what, what are you, quasi-Amish mom? What is the story here? And as a parent, you have to say, in my judgment, those video games are not good for you, and they're not going to enter our house. All of my friends have them, and they go to church. That may be, but in this house, no. And if you don't have that kind of confidence, Brendan, then you're going to go the flow of the culture, and then your kid could be shaped by that culture more than you. Interested in learning more about your faith? I invite you to check out Good Catholic. They are a digital media brand focused on sharing and teaching about the faith. From podcasts to blogs to digital series, Good Catholic has it all. Use the code in the show notes to get 20% off your order at Good Catholic. All right. Based on what you're saying, you you kind of spoke a little bit about it, but I want to phrase it in a in a certain way. You've heard the phrase, and I've heard the phrase: holiness is attractive. So, how does that reality play into this parenting? I mean, you mentioned the one in a hundred parent, but especially as you know, these listeners are hopefully tr- pursuing that. How does just living out the faith as as an adult help? you know, this parenting aspect with these children? Several things are going to happen naturally, Brendan. One, if you love those kids with all your might, and I'm sure pretty much everybody listening to you does, that's going to come through. They're going to see who they can count on. They're going to see who's got their back. They're going to see from their dad affection. They're going to, I always tell dads this. If you have high standards, you better have high affection. Because your standards can't just see my way or the highway, kid. They got to be, I'm doing this because I love you. And I want to show you how much I love you by the way I hug and kiss you all the time. I'll tell you a quick story. My son, Pete, played basketball. He was 17 years of age. Before the games, I'd sit in the bleachers about four, four rows back. I'd wait for the opportune time before game time. I'd go down on the floor in front of the bench. I'd hug him. I'd kiss him on the cheek. And I'd say, I, you know, I had to. 
I had to give him encouragement. I said, Petey, try not to stink the joint out. And he'd <laughs> laugh and I'd laugh. Later, I said, hey, Pete, that embarrass you when I do that? He said, would it make any difference, Dad? I said, no, it wouldn't, because I'm going to kiss you anywhere I want. He told me later, Brendan, he had teammates come up to him and say, I wish my dad would do that. Okay, so that, that high affection is a factor. You know, a regret that I had as a father, when I used to say my nighttime prayers, I said them under the covers. My kids couldn't tell if I was sleeping or saying prayers. If I had it to do over again, I would have knelt beside that bed so they could see their old man saying his prayers. Just stuff like that, you know? The other thing I would say, and this is not in the book, but I would say this. My grandma came from Italy when she was eight years old. If the priest said it, that's the way it was. You didn't question it because the priest said it. Kids are not like that anymore. They got to know why the church teaches what she teaches. They have, to, they have to hear the explanation. And we parents have to be prepared to tell them, this is why the church views it this way. This is why Jesus teaches this way. This is why this works. That's what's missing for most of us, me included. Yeah, I think you're you're spot on. I think back to my growing up and my dad did the same thing. Every day he'd drop us off at school and he would give us a big kiss on the cheeks and tell us he loved us. And it meant the world. I still think, you know, I, I have the deepest admiration and love for my father. And I think back of those moments and I say, I hope that I can be like that to my children one day, God willing. Did and, you have that beard uh, then? <laughs> I did not. So he oh, wasn't okay. kissing, wasn't kissing a beard. Because you would have been one of the best football players they had. <laughs> no beard. Um, so you mentioned in the book that there are critical reasons to reverse the parenting approaches, even if it seems too late. Uh, what are some practical tips or steps that you offer to parents looking to make those positive changes in their parenting styles? Parents will say to me, they say this to me all the time, Brendan, especially when they come to therapy. I don't like the way I've parented all these years. I'm looking at it and I'm realizing I need to make a big about face. Is it too late? And I'll say, I don't know. Only God knows. But I can say this. You have to change anyway. If he's 15 years old and you've been allowing him to mouth off to you for the last six, and you finally can't take it anymore, and you're realizing you're not helping him by letting him be this disrespectful. Okay, now what's your new rule going to be? Do you think that'll make him be respectful? Yeah, it probably will. Do you think it'll change his attitude? I don't know but you've at least got to turn that boat around as best you can in the next three, four years you got. Because if you don't, it's only going to get more cemented in place. I always tell that to parents, you don't know if it's too late or not, but you got to act like it isn't. And a simple rule of thumb, the later it gets, the harder it gets. You know, I'll get parents when these kids are 19, 20, 22, 24, and they're living at home. And they are incredibly uncooperative and difficult and, and not motivated. And the parents say, what do I do? And I'll say, raise the rent. Or I'll say, you have to decide if he can still live there. Now that's a decision forced upon you because you allowed it to go too long. you know. But how to turn around when it's too late? Very simple. Make some approaches like this, Brendan. You go up to your child and you say, you know, I owe you a major apology. I've been wrong for a long time. 
I've been allowing you to do things that are no good for you and no good for me. And for that, I am so sorry. And I always tell parents, that's a great way to in introduce new discipline because it fluffs them up for you, drop them. From now on, we have some new rules. The smartphone will be in my hands by eight o'clock at night. It's not gone up to your bed. Any disrespect of any kind, rolling of the eyes, huffy sighs, yeah, mom, that's lame. Anything will automatically result in a handwritten 400-word essay of apology each and every time. Now, the parent will say to me, yeah, but he, he won't do it. He'll just look at me like, are you crazy? He won't do it. I'll say, okay, another simple technique. When you levy a fair discipline and the child refuses to take it, and that happens all the time, Brendan, put him on what one of my clients called blackout. Blackout is total cessation of all perks and privileges, everything, dessert, outside, friends, computer, technology, favorite hoodie, money supply. That means he packs his own lunch for school. Money supply is gone until you get that essay. And that essay is now 700 words because he didn't do it the first time. It's, it works beautifully, but parents don't realize that kind of quiet authority that they have. This is not mean. Brendan, there's a simple rule. If you don't have authority, you get ugly. You get nasty with what you say. You don't talk to any other human being on this earth like you talk to that kid. And you feel terrible. You go to confession, bless me, Father. You know, before I had children, I was pretty nice. Now I'm not pretty <laughs> or nice. And that's what happens. Because if you don't have discipline authority, you, you get frustrated. You get loud. You get mean. You say things that you regret. The more authority you have, the less you have to use it. It's a simple relationship. On, on that note, I, I want to be respectful of your time, doctor. So I only have a few more questions. Let's let's go with the communication. Communication's of course going to be key during those teen years. What are four key sayings or phrases that you recommend to parents uh, to communicate more effectively? First thing you do is you listen. You just, I just want to hear what's on your mind. I, I want to hear what you're thinking about what, and I want to hear it respectfully. Respectfully, I'm not going to interrupt. I'm not going to jump in. I'm not going to correct you. I want to just hear it because if you're telling me something really stupid. Well, you can't, you can't do anything about it while you're sitting there talking to me, at least unless you're incredibly creative. Okay, that's one. Two, I'm going to ask you questions. If you say to me, you know, Dan, I'm, uh, I'm really starting to think that Jesus wasn't God. Okay, son. So how'd you come to that conclusion? What, what, what has led you to think that? Tell me. I, I just want to hear it. I'm not going to say, what do you mean? What do you mean Jesus isn't God? Come on. You're just, no, I'm, I, I want to hear it. I'm going to explore why you think that. Then I'm going to ask things like, well, you know, if you, if you actually skip school, like you telling me you're going to do on Friday, what do you think is going to happen? What's the school going to do? What am I going to do? So in other words, I'm, I'm going to take you through the consequences of what you're going to do. And then the other rule is this, and the experts always misguide parents with this one. Let children express themselves. I agree. 
but you lose the right to express yourself when you get disrespectful. Expression of feelings is not disrespect. If a kid says, you know, mom, I really don't understand a lot of what you do. I don't agree with it. I think you're way too strict on us. And I, most of my friends think that too. Now, is that disrespectful, Brandon? Not if it's said in the right tone. That's right. That's not disrespectful at all. I'm expressing my feelings and they're yeah. feelings you don't want to hear, but they're not disrespectful. If, on the other hand, I say, you know, mom, you're ridiculous. You know that these stupid rules that you think you have that make you a good parent better than anybody else. You don't know what you're talking about half the time. Well, that's expressing feelings, too. But it covers with a, it comes with a heavy dose of nastiness. And that's the difference. You can express anything you want as long as it's not nasty. All right. I, I, I know I have one more question for you. Your, your book is noted for its humor. You're noted for your humor. Can you talk about just how you use humor, even sarcasm, to kind of convey your advice to parents and why you think that's an effective tool? I used to entertain in supper clubs when I was in college. And when you're telling people stuff that's hard to hear, you got to laugh. I, I don't, I'm not an overreactive psychology type. If a, if a kid does something, like for example, if a kid steals something, I'll say, what's his name, Rob? You know, or, or if, if your preschooler doesn't want to go to bed, what's her name, Eve, Dawn, Nap? So you're, you're, you got to make parents laugh at this. Uh, a, a, a wise farm mother told me one time, parenting is far too important to be taken too seriously. And we've lost our ability to laugh because the experts have got you so nervous. They've got you so skittish. So yeah, wherever possible, I will throw in humor as much as I can because a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. All right. Any final thoughts, Dr. Ray? If they want to sign copy, Brendan, all they got to do is go to my website, drray.com, or all the books are, drray.com, and they'll get a signed copy. All right. I was going to say, where can they get the book? So there it is. Well, thank you. It's good to talk to you. It was great to talk to you last time. It was great to talk to you today. It's a, it's a joy. And I'll, of course, link the book in the show notes. But once again, Dr. Ray Garundi, did I say that right? You did. All right. I uh, I didn't say it earlier. Didn't want to say it wrong. But uh, his new book or edited book, Standing Strong, Good Discipline Makes Great Teens. Check it out. Look in the show notes. Thank you so much, Dr. Ray. Have a wonderful night. God bless you to everyone who was able to listen to this podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to subscribe and check out goodcatholic.com for more details.